0: Them with a third part. Oh, he loo. Oh, he loo. Male Shirah Kaya. Oh, he loo. Oh, he loo. Male Shirah Kaya. Try that. Oh, he oh, loo. Hello, and welcome to Contact High. Today's episode of Shabbat Replay is from our Saturday morning service on April 15th, when Rabbi Dina gave an enlightening sermon on kashrut, arguing that keeping kosher is not just a collective obligation or a personal choice, but also an ancient mindful eating practice we can all learn from. Take it away, Rabbi. Rabbi. So my dog is obviously a very good dog. She is patient and gentle and chill and sweet and cuddly, except when we are in the park and another dog comes sniffing around the fanny pack that I bring treats in, looking for one of what she considers hers and only her treats. Then my very sweet, chill dog turns into a growling aggressor willing to chase off anyone who would dare eat her food. She has even, on occasion, been a little toothy with me when I'm not fast enough in delivering said treats, and when I give her a treat at home, she has to run into the bedroom and hide on her bed to eat it. She will eat, and I mean this genuinely, literally anything, and she will only eat alone which means that my dog is the opposite of what it means to keep kosher. Kashrut literally means fitness. And yes, in Israel, a gym is called a cheder kosher, a room of fitness. The practice of keeping kosher is the traditionally Jewish set of eating rules and laws that govern both what and with whom we eat. Kashrut as fitness is not just about what is fit, to be put into our bodies, but also what is intentional, what is proper, what aligns with our communal norms. And that set of laws begins at the end of this week's Parsha. We get some of the original laws of Kashrut, which really amounts to God saying to Moshe to say to the people, eat this and not that. And you can eat things that have this kind of hoof, but not that. And you can eat things that have fins and scales, but not that don't, etc." And like much of the book of Leviticus, this set of laws doesn't seem to come with much explanation for why we should do it. God just says after these laws, Ki ani Adonai kedoshim ki kadoshani. I am your God, you should be holy, and then you'll be holy, and then I am holy. We'll come back to that. So in the seeming absence of a reason why we should be eating along these particular categories, both anthropologists and religious commentators have gone to town trying to understand what's the point behind these laws. One prevailing theory among anthropologists and sociologists is that it had something to do with health and sanitation. You might have heard a theory that the laws against eating pork products in particular were meant to protect the Israelites from trichinosis, which is a foodborne illness often found in pork products. But that has largely been debunked because there's all sorts of other ways that you can get food poisoning from other kinds of meat and unrefrigerated foods. The theory about kashrut as an ancient food safety practice, I think stems from a mistranslation issue. When God says, don't eat these things, it says then, ki tamehu, because they are unclean or unpure. But tame doesn't mean unpure in a dirty sense, like it needs to be washed off. The opposite of tame is not naki, which means clean. The opposite of tame is tahor, which means pure. Tame is unclean in a ritual sense. It's unfit for the ritual categories by which Jews live our lives. We don't eat the things that God says not to eat, not because there's something physically wrong with them, but because they are categorically misaligned with this set of understanding the world. The instincts to prescribe meaning to the categories themselves is deeply human and therefore missing the mark. Kashrut is not about the particulars of any category, as if fins and scales were somehow better than not, or split hooves were somehow better than not. What God wants us to do in this Parsha is to be thinking about intentionally categorizing the world, to be actually engaged in the process of understanding where something fits into our worldview. It's not that pigs or horses are less sanitary than cows. They just don't fit particular categories in the particular way God said. And in fact, many other major religions have their own particular sets of eating practices. Muslims and Hindus and Buddhists and Sikhs also have their own understanding of dietary laws. They're all particular for their own sake of particularness. Religious dietary practices are at least in part about adherence to a system that might not make any sense because it reminds you that you belong to a specific group of people and it reminds you that you are connected to whatever you understand the world to be about every time you eat, which for most of us is at least three times a day. The ancient philosopher Philo of Alexandria says that the essential lesson of kashrut is that Because we are capable of making choices, and even making difficult choices, therefore we should do so. Unlike animals, which will eat whatever they can find, we can be choosy about our food. We can eat it slowly. We can savor it. We can wait to eat until everyone else is served, not because we have been commanded to do so, but because it's the polite thing to do. Kashrut is the original mindful eating practice. It calls us to pay attention to our food before it ever goes into our body. But the other key element of kashrut is not just what you eat, but who you eat with. Because who you eat with is who you build community with. For the Israelites in the desert who were recently freed from slavery, building community with each other and building relationship with God was a vital task. And for the next several thousand years, this ability to draw boundaries around our community by our eating practices was a critical tool for Jewish survival. Which takes us back to the original justification for keeping kosher which is that kashrut helps us be holy like God. To understand how this makes any sense, we need to do a quick linguistics lesson. So the root of the word holy is kuf daled shin, kadesh. And it actually means to separate. Something that is kadosh is separate from the other stuff around it, time or physical objects or people. Kedusha, holiness, is about separateness. And yes, this relies on intentionality, but it also means that acting with kedusha means separating ourselves from other people and from other things. This is what my dog cannot do, but I can. I can look at various people and say, yes, I want to build community with you, therefore I will share my food with you. Or, I don't want to build community with you, therefore we will not share a meal together, or maybe just not right now. My dog can only say, mine go away. Kashrut is about separating people, making an us group and a them group, which is why the early reformers, the early reformed Jews, rejected it. Abraham Geiger, who was a German rabbi and thought of as the founder of Reform Judaism, wrote of Kashrut, and I quote, these dietary laws that are such a hindrance to the development of social relationships. For Reform Jews, being separate from secular society was a hindrance to the kind of lives that they wanted to lead. And so they eschewed keeping kosher. They even famously held a trafe festival one time where they sat around and ate a bunch of non-kosher food together. That's no longer quite the practice. On the other hand, for Jews who were looking to solidify their differences from the other nations around them, keeping kosher was an excellent tool to do so. In the time of the Maccabees, Jews chose to be martyred rather than eat pork, sending the message to their German ocupi- German Sorry. Greek occupiers that they would literally rather die than be friends with them. What God is telling the Israelites in commanding them to keep kosher was make yourself separate from the other nations in the way that I am separate from the other gods and do it in the fundamental life sustaining practice of eating. Eating is a form of belonging and making intentional choices about our food and what we eat and whom we eat it with is an exercise in human sacredness. One of my earliest memories, I distinctly remember this moment, was when I was in kindergarten and I went to public school and there was a birthday in my class over Passover. And my mom came to my class with a kosher for Passover blueberry muffin to give me while all the other kids had birthday cake. My mom and I were talking about this a couple years ago and she said to me, did I make a mistake then in enforcing that you eat this kosher for Passover blueberry muffin while everyone else in your class got to have cake together? Should we have just let you eat the muffin, you were six? And I said, no, you didn't make a mistake at all. And even as a six-year-old, I was happy to eat that Kosher for Passover muffin, which no one would voluntarily eat the other 51 weeks of the year, (laughs) because I knew that it made me belong to people who mattered to me. I knew that that muffin was a signal of my belonging to the Jewish people, even if it meant I didn't belong to my class in that moment who we eat with matters just as much as what we eat, which is the essence of keeping kosher. And even if you think to yourself, well, I don't keep kosher, you probably do some version of this in your life. For example, maybe you have guests coming over who are gluten-free and you make a gluten-free dessert for them. Or maybe you choose to meet a sober friend at a movie or a coffee shop instead of suggesting that you meet at a bar or maybe you don't wear your leather jacket when you go to meet your vegan friend for dinner, and so on. Keeping kosher means looking carefully at an item and making a decision about whether it is fitting for the kind of life we want to live and the kind of community we want to belong to. In the 1970s, Reb Zalman Shakhtar Shalomi, the founder of Renewal Judaism, coined the term eco root" to refer to practices such as avoiding buying foods that were packaged in styrofoam or that had been produced by agribusinesses, even if that meant that you would be required to choose an item that wasn't actually certified kosher. About a decade ago, in response to an investigative journalism article about poor working conditions in a kosher meat plant, Rabbi Morris Allen of Minnesota suggested a magen tzedek, a kind of heksher, a kind of special seal for foods that would certify that they conformed to Jewish halacha, to Jewish law on labor practices and animal welfare and environmental stewardship, not just about the ritual fitness of the food. The label itself is not actually widely used now, but it reminds us that Jewish law cares about more than just what species we consume and how they were killed. Eating Jewishly, which by the way, you do not need to be Jewish to do, means eating in a way that reminds you of your humanity and your social connections and your ethical values. Passover, which we just finished two days ago, tends to be the time of year that most Jews and Jewish-adjacent folks are thinking about keeping kosher, even if they don't do it for the rest of the year. In my middle school, it was famous to see people come with ham and cheese on matzah sandwiches for Passover, (laughs) thereby utterly disregarding the prohibition on eating pork and disregarding the prohibition on eating milk and meat together, but adhering to the prohibition on not eating bread over Passover. That's not a knock to that practice. It's a reminder that kosher does not have to be all or nothing. If that's your version of keeping kosher, I am genuinely proud of you for taking time in your year to intentionally choose how to eat in such a way that aligns you to peoplehood. And my invitation in this moment is not to lose the momentum of that intentionality in your food, even as we go back to our squishy, bready, carby, cookie-filled lives. Maybe for you, and I know this is radical, but maybe for you, keeping kosher in this moment means buying your pork from a small-scale farmer who you have a relationship with and sharing it with people who you know and care about, because it's intentional and it ties you to people you care about. Maybe for you in this moment, leaning into keeping kosher means learning about fair trade certifications and economic slavery, and choosing to avoid buying products that were likely produced with slave labor. Maybe for you, it means keeping an extra set of dishes around so that you can invite over friends who might have a more stringent understanding of Jewish dietary laws than you do. Or maybe it means, if you're in the more stringent category, bringing your own plates to your friend's house so that you can share a meal together. The goal here, what I want you to do, is to look at the food that you put in your body as a chance to be connected to the food itself, to the community that you find yourself a part of, and to the people who you have the pleasure of sharing food with. To remind yourself that it is sacred to be connected to what we eat and who we eat it with. Shabbat Replay is a production of Mishkan Chicago. Our theme music was composed and performed by Kalman Strauss. You can always see where and when our next service will be on our calendar. There's a link in the show notes. And if you appreciated the program, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. I know you've heard it before, but it really does help. On behalf of Team Mishkan, thank you for listening.